Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. For seven decades, Michael Keane has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed but also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. You've made it a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. ...to the incredible misses. You've failed to maintain your women, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. To understand how he has made the mark of Caine. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Hello and welcome to The Mark of Cain, our plunge into the murky depths of Michael Cain's movie career, looking for pearls, but equally risking getting stung by floating jellyfish every single time. My name is Michael Foley and I'm joined as always by Stephen Black, proprietor and coat checker for the Mallow News Satire Emporium, which can be found at Mallow News on Twitter. How are you doing? Well, in terms of jellyfish, I think, uh, Mick, I will lead you to urinate on me to uh, <laughs> salve the sting that the magus, magus, machus, or whatever the fuck you want oh. to call it, has uh, has left upon me. It is a permanent mark, scar, if you will, that if he will be with me for, well, I'm gonna, I could be melodramatic and say the rest of my life, but certainly the next few days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, here we are again on the roller coaster of Michael Caine's career. Uh, at this stage, now, I don't know about you, I've been on a couple of roller coasters. I, I remember there being more ups. I do petrol down. This feels like yeah, yeah. We and it's not even the thrill of going down. It's just a bit towards the end. You go, I fucking have enough of this. I have enough of this. I'm feeling queasy now, and I need a little bit of something just to just to level me out. Like, but yeah, we're, we're not we're not getting a whole lot of level. Hurry, sundown, deadfall, woman time seven, billion dollar brain, which is probably the worst of the the weakest anyway of the Palmer films. I uh, it's. Ah. I just want to go. The, I just want to go on the waltzers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just want to go on the waltzers. I just want to go on the waltzers. Just McKay and just give us something we can hang on to. We just need. We just need a little something now. But instead, we get this. We get. Yeah, this, this is very. This is very much the door in Titanic in terms of something uh, tangible to hold on to. You know, <laughs> you'd imagine at this stage of his career, there's there's room for a better film, but no, he's prizing our, our frozen fingers off so he can float away into the, the fucking shitty sunset. Yeah, this is a Michael Caine film that has a really special place in the Hall of Infamy. This is the movie that Caine himself claimed was among those that nearly collapsed his entire career. He's described it down the years as dire, as a load of rubbish. He says he has no idea what the movie was about, that he was forced into making it by his contract with Fox against his better judgment. This is 1968. 
This is the box office catastrophe that was disowned by everyone that was involved in it. This is the movie that nearly torpedoed it all. This is the Megas. The Megas is real. The Megas is mystery. The game he plays is love. The game is desire. The game is tender. The game is terror. The vicious game the Magus plays is not a game, but life itself. Or is it death? The answer is fascinating. The answer is frightening. The answer is in The Magus, from John Fowle's best-selling love story, starring Michael Caine, Anthony Quinn, Candace Bergen, Anna Karina. The game is real. What the hell did you make of this? I think I sent you a message. I said, "You go, what the fuck is going on?" Yes, I I don't know. You could like I assume you'll want you'll go through the plot. Have you written out the plot just out of interest? Are you are you gonna are you gonna do you know improv? You, oh you my improv God. your way through it. Or you... Oh my! Well, I tell you, I tell you what, right? Because when I do these plots, sometimes they can be quite complicated to write down. So, so I kind of cross reference them with, with with other sort of um summaries of these films. On this, I found so many different versions of what this film is about that I'm actually, I'll be, I'll, can I be honest with you, I'm actually quite pleased with how this plot outline worked out in the end. Because by the time I'd finished writing it, I actually kind of thought, yeah, I, I kind of, I, oh, I think I, I might actually have found a plot. It's still mad and it still makes no sense. But I think I have found at least a moral to the story. I'm quite happy with well, it. So you've picked, you've, picked, you've picked yourself up now, so go for it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, let's see how we go. So it's just the Megas 1968. It's, it's, it's amazing. Anyway, let's begin. Kane plays Nicholas Urf, who's escaping dingy London. He's going to a lovely Greek island where he's going to teach English in a school, apparently trying to escape the memories of a broken relationship with Anne, who's played by Anna Karina, a great French new wave actress of the time. In this, in this film, she's an air hostess who, who, basically acts them off the screen every time they're together. But anyway, uh, Orf's wanderings on the island uh, when he gets there brings him to this mysterious villa that's owned by Maris Conchis. Conchis now may be dead or he may be alive. He may have collaborated with the Nazis during the war or he may not have, but he invites Orf to stay the following weekend. Orf accepts for no apparent reason, especially especially when the whole scene seems pretty freaky on the basis of their first encounter. Uh, Conchis says he lives there alone or what some would call alone. I'd like to point out that we'd already seen two staff members at this stage. So Urf goes back anyway the following weekend. He stays the weekend. Conchis tests him by playing dice. The loser has to take a suicide pill and Urf loses, but he refuses to take the pill. And apparently this means he's passed the test and that he shows that he values his life, even though he had spent a lot of time saying, oh, I don't really value <laughs> Stay with me, stay with me. So then we get some backstory. It turns out that Conchis was a musical prodigy trend in London where he met Lily, who died of typhoid in 1916. But then suddenly she turns up the next night on the Greek island at dinner. And Orf is very confused. So it turns out that Orf, in my head anyway, this is how I got through the film. Orf is basically Alfie, right? He uses women. He's shallow. He's controlling. He's a git. Then there's some various visions of ancient gods and Lily kind of floating around the place and so on. And then the next thing, Kanchi says, oh, by the way, <laughs> just to let you know, Lily isn't a ghost. She's actually a schizophrenic called Julie. And I'm a doctor called Lambros. So here we go. Twist. Next thing, Anne 
his previous uh, girlfriend, lover, whatever, arrives from Athens and there's some scenes there and there's a spot of sexy time. Girlfriends, girlfriends are typically lovers unless it's kind of in a, you know, in a whole, well, I, you know, junior, junior infants. I'm, I'm, this is my yeah. girlfriend who'll go to marry kind yeah. of way. You know? I kind of mean more in the way of like an actual relationship, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, so there's a bit of sexy time by the lake with Anne, um, but Orf, for some reason, rejects staying with her and forever going back to crazy town on the island. Next twist. Next thing we're told, Julie, oh, she's not a schizophrenic at all. She's an actress. And Lambros isn't isn't a, a, a doctor. He's a producer. And there's another guy there who's apparently a director. They're making a movie where we can't see the cameras. Time for another vision. Orf is invited by Julie now for sexy time at a chapel out in the countryside. And when he gets, but he's also found out around the same time that Anna has committed suicide. Or has she? But in fairness, no, he, he sets aside his grief. <laughs> he sets aside his grief and offers her some sexy time at the chapel, where sets aside his grief, sets aside his grief, and picks up his erection. Basically, well, uh, your words. And but would you know what happens? He gets accosted by some Nazis when he's there with oh, some Greek resistance guys at the chapel. So no sexy time. And the next thing, he's left on his own in the middle of the forest. Still with us. Back to Conchies in a proper temper, as you would be. No one has a blind clue what's going on, either in the film or, or watching the film. Uh, and Conchies now tells him that it's all part of the meta theatre, where the play is for the actors alone. Then Conchies tells his story where he was the mayor of the island when the Germans were occupying there during the war. And he had to make a choice between killing three resistance fighters who had, who had killed a few German soldiers or allowing 80 locals to be massacred. In the end, everyone gets killed apart from Conchies. And somewhere, the key line I think to the film has slipped in, that Orf in this piece of meta theatre is being cast as the traitor because we have all failed to love. More sexy time with Julie, but at the crucial moment, she backs off. Uh... These guards come in, drag Orf off to a show trial that kind of reminded me of Alice in Wonderland, what with like the draft board kind of black and white tiles on the floor. And now Conchies, played by Anthony Quinn, by the way, I should have mentioned that much earlier. Um, he's dressed as a Megas, which is kind of like a half jester magician type. There's a billion dollar brain style computer telling us that Orf is Alfie, basically shallow, manipulative, no hope for him. And then in a in another kind of twist that I don't think I ever saw coming, uh, Orf is invited to whip uh, Julie, who's played by Candace Bergen, by the way, with the cat of nine tails, having been shown a movie of her having sex with the bloke from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Julian Glover, by the way, the guy who melts at the end when he drinks from like the not holy grail. Orf says, you know, suddenly, oh, I'm not cat of nine tailing anybody. And he suddenly wakes up, apparently in Athens with Conchies, but ha, just when you think something is making sense, it's a set. And he walks out the door and he's at the island again. And there's Anne below on a speedboat leaving. And Orf goes back to the villa where he finds nothing apart from the paperweight that Anne once gave him and the lines from the T.S. Eliot poem that seems to be central again to the whole movie that we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know this place for the first time. So I'm taking the entire caper as basically a very long, confusing lesson for Orf in learning to love and appreciate what he has. But I really don't know and I kind of don't care and it's completely bookshit mental. That is a fair play to you. That's a fairly uh, concise explanation of what the, what actually was going on in this film. I've right. done my own uh, um, kind of summary of this, so just bear with me. So mm-hmm. this this film is basically about a British man who, for no apparent reason, decides to piss off to Greece for some work and mysteriously ends up as a leading man at the whims of a terrible director who embraces this notion of the meta theatre, where there's no plot, no scripts, no one knows what's going on, whether they're on camera or not. Everything is really confusing. And in the end, it seems like the leading man is being punished for what he has done. But also there may be some hope for him to start over again. I mean, there's some fucking parallels here as far as I'm concerned. It's 
basically Kane. Yes. Again, says he somehow contractual obligations pisses off here. Doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Is at the whims of a guy Green, who is a fucking terrible director. Terrible. I mean, this is a man who won an Academy Award for great for being for his work as a cinematographer on Great Expectations. Mm-hmm. And this is he's uh, like a fucking Wally Fister review. So I remember Wally Fister, <laughs> Wally, Wally Fister. That's a real name. I'm not making that up. Wally <laughs> Fister was uh, was Christopher Nolan's cinematographer. So he uh, he did Inception and he did uh, the Dark Knight trilogy mm-hmm. and all that. Very very talented. Then he went out and he uh, on his directorial debut directed uh, Transcendence. Okay. Have you seen Transcendence? I don't think I have. Johnny Johnny Depp, uh, Paul Bettany vehicle about wow. AI. It's it's it was an absolute turkey. And Wally Fister hasn't worked in movies since. I think he's directing TV shows and he's directing uh, ads now. Which I think Guy Green's career went a similar route. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, so it's a, it's a complete incomprehensible mess. But it's still more watchable than Alfie simply because it's a mess. Is is more fun to watch than a complete Alfie. In yeah, absolutely. I could not agree with you because I was kind of coming into this. I was expecting it to be a mess because Kane only describes it as like one of the worst films he's ever done. I realized about half, two thirds of the way through this. This is this is better than Harry Sundown. It's it's yes. more watchable than Alfie, and it's better than The Wrong Box. So immediately, it's oh, Jesus, better. Yes. It's immediately it's more watchable than three of the previous movies you've done in this decade alone. And that's not to well, say it's they- good, by the way. No, it's and it's not. No, I think the thing with this is, I think expectations were so high because the the book that it's based on was such a, a hit, such a, and is deemed still to be like a, a literary classic. So expectations were high that this is going to be, you know, this marvelous fucking representation of 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 the success of book and screen, and it, it was complete and utter box office flop. Flop. I think it made two million, or it mm. took in two million, or something. Ultimately, at the box office, and cost something like six million to make. So yeah. a complete nutter turkey as well in a line of turkeys that Kane had been had had done within the last year. Yeah, we we'll, and we'll come along to kind of where he's at now in, in in a little while. Like, I mean, where does this leave him? This absolute disaster of film. But like, it kind of it's weird because like it's it's awful, but it's not pantomime awful the way that it's sometimes described. It's the kind of film that you can go back into and you'll find bits and pieces in it. I mean, Anna Karina is very. I, I think she's. I mean, insofar as anybody is good in this, she's she's good, um, and she 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 acts Kane off the screen every time, basically because she looks interested in what she's doing mainly. Um, oh, Kane looks so bored, so bored. I, I, in, in nearly every single scene where he's in the background or, or you know some other character is talking, he's just he just looks as if he wants to die. <laughs> it's just like literally what he's literally like. I mean, he's he's uh, in many ways, uh, you know, like some. Some roles in a movie, you're, you know, that you're supposed to be the kind of the the, the audience's surrogate. And he's very much so in this movie because he does look as if he's going, "What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Why is this happening? <laughs> I hope the check is cleared." <laughs> it's like the only thing that's getting him through is like he looks very tanned and very radiant. It's it's largely filled in Mallorca, so he's happy with that. And he said himself, the other the only other thing that got him through was the fact that Candace Bergen was was in a lot of scenes opposite him. That pretty much got him through the whole ordeal. Yeah. Just want to kind of leave this little alleyway here, just in terms of you know, he does spend an awful lot of time with in this movie with his top off. But, uh, 
I think it's it's a marvelous representation of the male physique that I'd like to see more on screen these days. Because I I don't know about you, but I'm sick of the the high expectations for for men on screen these days. Mm. You see footage of fucking lads preparing for like Marvel movies or DC movies, and they're there and they're dragging fucking sex silage up and down up and down a road. They're they're hammering a tire and all that. And in between, just you know, if they're doing any any shots where they have to take their shirt off, they're there fucking pounding raw chicken. Fucking mm-hmm. doing pull-ups and all that to make sure the muscles pop on screen. I'd say the only thing Guy, Guy Green said to fucking Big Kane was, do you know, can, can you do a sit-up? <laughs> can you do just the one? Any chance of a burpee? <laughs> just... A what? How, uh, do you, how do you think he, he prepared for it then? How, how do you think he... he, he um... He got himself physically ready for the rigors of the role because he did a bit. He do he does do a bit of swimming, for example. He does do a bit of swimming. I'd say I'd say I'd say up and down the steps to Tony Quinn's gaff, and this is basically was the uh, was the extent of his exercise. Maybe from the airport to the ca- to the taxi that brought him to to his hotel. Maybe walked around the hotel a bit. I think that's about a lot of cardio. Do you think he's drifting a little bit from the actor's diet as well at this point? Because oh, I think so, especially if that's the, there's a, there's a, again I'll hold my hands up as a man in a possession of a pair of love handles. I feel place the point the point is he is beginning to there the, there is the, the signs of there being more of him to to love. Yes, at this stage you you can see not getting a tad gouty about the midriff. He is showing the signs of living well. He's showing the yes. signs of a man who is now being put up in hotel suites. And being offered whatever the hell he wants, and rightly so, saying yes, I will have twenty-seven lobsters in my bath, please. He's doing, he's doing whatever, whatever he wants, and and, and we can't say well earned, but but um, he's he's living the life, and it's it's it is starting to show. Nick, did you enjoy Kane's partridge impersonation towards the end of the movie? <laughs> that was the best. That was it. I get, you know, you were kind of just again kind of just just gulping water in this mess of a film and the next thing you hear and 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 suddenly you are transported <laughs> to a car park at a country club on the outskirts of norwich it was it was it was like a it was it, it, it was like a some, something to hang on to it was just something to hang on to and back to the film a little bit like it's it's as i say it's not pantomime awful it's actually interesting it's funny that it's sort of it's insofar as anyone watches it anymore that's the other thing this movie is completely more or less gone off the radar of most people but it has a something of a cult following on you know online and so on the reviews from people who've watched it aren't damning but i think it's more like i think sometimes cult is called for this is crap but it's just not as crap as some people have suggested down the years but it's still crap. I think so. Yeah. So people's interpretation of cult is that, is that, you know, like a small group of people think something that is, uh, that everybody else thinks is absolute shit, just thinks it's, a, think it's a little bit shit and there's merit in that shitness. Yeah. And like there is, I mean, I didn't realize this. It was only when I, when I went looking into the, the megas that I found out that there was actually talk in 2020 
of a reboot of the Megas book, at least anyway, as a miniseries directed by Johan Renk, who did Chernobyl. So, I mean, it clearly has an, I mean, the book itself, as you've mentioned before, has a huge attraction for people and goes down as one of these, kind. Of, it is a genuine cult novel, isn't it? Like it, it, it is very yeah. popular. Yeah, and I mean, there's aspects of, you can see something, like a film like this, I mean, I've looked at the plot of the book and there, there are a lot, there are a lot, lots of differences between what they decided to keep in and what they decided to cut out. But I, I, like, if you think about the premises of an outsider coming to a small island and being, you know, being presented with all these kind of strange visions and strange people, I mean, it, it, it's you know, if you think of movies like The Wicker Man or more recently movies like Midsummer, you know, the, there are precedents where things that, where you know this kind of situation can be done well. There's the psychodrama elements to it as well. Like Ben, ben Wheatley's pretty good at that as well, but. It, it's just Guy Green doesn't have the tools in, no. in his toolbox to do this. He doesn't. And I know John Fowles co-wrote co the script, which he denies. Uh, John Fowles is the author, the actual guy who wrote the Magus or Magus or Magus. Mm. Um, but he disowned, yeah, as I say, he disowned it. But, there, you know, it's no poor understanding of what an audience is willing to tolerate in terms of ambiguity, I think, on the screen. Absolutely. I mean, there are six lines that really capture the whole thing for me anyway um six lines from 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 the script um i'd just enjoy it more if i knew what it was all about uh that's from earth this is life not an existential novel and i never saw a script says julie at one stage he'll have absolutely no idea what's happening i think conscious said that i don't understand what's going on that's julie again and you have entered the meta theater no set plot no set dialogue no audience. And I think that pretty much captures exactly what's going on with the whole movie before, during and after. Yeah, I think there's there's kind of a subconscious self-awareness that's appearing in the script. It's like they're not they're you know, like consciously they think they're making a movie that's going to be an absolute smash hit, but there's something at the back of their mind that's writing these lines and it's kind of like a subconscious scream going, What is you're do what are you doing? Please stop. I don't think it's been wise after the event either, because like Candace Bergen and other people who who have briefly spoken about this movie basically i have a clue what was going on i was told to stand here and say that i didn't have a no i had no idea what exactly was happening caddis bergen is terrible in this and i mean it's it's not really her fault it's just the, the script is it, there's no there, the lines aren't there for her the, I, but she does very very little with what she with the very little that she has whatever about tony quinn at least he's hamming it up tony quinn style you know yeah you're getting a hundred percent Iberico ham with Tony, you know. It's just <laughs> fucking smell the Denny rashes coming off the screen at you. You know, he's just. I hate Tony Quinn. I've never liked him in anything I've seen. He's just. He's got those. I am. I am a virile man. I fuck. <laughs> I fuck like a bull. You know all of these lads. <laughs> I grab. I grab life by the testicles and I squeeze. Oh, oh my god. I was about to say he certainly fills up the screen, but I kind of feel like I shouldn't really say that after that after, after that impersonation of Quinn. I it, tell you it, what, I fill the screen up with acting <laughs> jism. My seed of performance okay. is everywhere. Okay, okay. Are you privileged your mind? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, he is. It is one hundred percent pure Quinn. It is smashing the egg. With a huge, huge baseball bat. Everything is way over the top, which of course is the complete opposite of what this film needs. 
But here's something I want to put to you. And even when I was doing the summary there, I found myself saying the words sexy time a lot more than I have said them in the previous 10 movies. We're, we're moving into a more, a more permissive time for film, I think it's safe to say. Boobage. There's boobage in this movie. That's another word for yes. significantly more boobage. And uh, to be honest with you, I know it's representative of the times, but I, there's not really any fair play here. You know, the, the, the ladies are required to show boobage. At no stage do we get to see Michael's cane, no little hint of his Ipris file, you know, it, that's all. T- not even his, not even his bare bum, nothing. Yeah. Come Every- on, a little, a little something for the ladies as well, lads, come on. Everything is tucked away, all right. It's safe to say. Um, yeah. I did find, I did find all like that. kind of thinking of Orf as Alfie, Alfie as Orf, um, helped me get through the movie. It actually put a bit of shape on it, which maybe says more about the impact Alfie has had on my movie watching uh, than anything that the Megas managed to do. Yeah, I get no. the the it possibly has the longest uh, sex scene of a Michael Caine film today. Definitely the one with with Anna by the the, the local watering hole. But even the way that that's shot, it's shot with all you know, like it's shot like with all the finesse of some lad with a fucking iPhone outside a Ford Cortina at a dogging site. You know, it's kind of just very autoratic. Let's put it that way. Michael Caine caressing your one like a fucking butcher, kind of you know, like you know, rubbing his hand over a range of exotic meats. You know, it's it's there's it's just. He's just kind of going, yeah. oh, no, stop. It's kind of like he's, it's, it's like he's kind of feeling for the bone where to cut the chops. Like it's, it's not, it really it's is. not pleasant. It is not pleasant. It's Again, not, no. and there's more eyeball kissing and there's more, you know, it's just more hard. very, very kind of tense arm placing of the lady in, in places. You yes. know, it's like, you know, I grab you, I, I put you on bed. Now I will lie next to you. It's, yeah, it's not working. It's just not. It's 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 it doesn't really work. I mean, you mentioned Guy Green, the director's terrible. Candace Burke and God bless her, is terrible. I mean, you know, she's been. I think she's actually been asked to do a lot here. She's basically been asked to play a schizophrenic, an actress, and a dead girlfriend. Um, and it's just that's an awful lot to ask. Anna Karina, I thought was good. Anthony Quinn was pretty terrible. What you make? Like the ending is just. I mean, I you know, it's it's a kind of movie. It's like it's like quicksand. You know, you kind of you get to a point in the movie where you go, okay. I think I've found some some solid ground underneath me and the next thing you just twist and you're gone, oh no, that had nothing to do with anything. The last twenty minutes it was a waste of time. I gave I gave I gave up and it making any sense. I gave up and it making any sense. I think the the whole way that it kind of goes, uh Michael uh, Michael Kane's character would ask, What's really going on? And Tony Cook, hi, ah, you've got me. It's not actually it's not actually uh my reincarnated uh, or go- the ghost of, of of my first love. Uh she's actually a schizophrenic patient. And then about five minutes. Michael Kidd, what's really going on? And the truth this time, ah, you got me. It's kind of going, <laughs> no, this is, this, there's no attempt here at, at any structure. Yeah, they're desperately just trying to make points. I mean, at one stage early on, Kane's at a party, Kane's character's at a party, and this guy comes over and says, you're classless, rootless, jobless. You have all the hallmarks of a contemporary genius. It's this kind of crap all the way through the film, you know. But, the, what, but he's what, what fucking contemporary genius. He's, he's oh. pissing off to teach English in, oh. in, in, in a Greek island. It's not like he's going off to you know. I, I need to isolate myself uh, to embrace my muse and write a fucking book. He's not. He's going off to teach a, a bunch of kids English. And of course, and, and, uh, by the by the way, by the way, by Greek Michael Caine, Greek Alfie, the the guy, oh, yeah. the, the his friend at the school. It's Greek Alfie. Oh yeah, go on. He's basically, it's... the Greek voice of the Mike Mykonos Kainos. Give him, the, give him the same hair, glasses, and suit as Harry Palmer. Like, it was like fucking Mykonos Kainos. It's very devoted, and very distracting. Or what the fuck is going on here? I thought uh, maybe that that was going to be some sort of, in some way central to the plot, that there was some sort of, you know, replacement going on here. But 
To be fair, no. to be fair, to be fair, if if you found Mykonos Kanos the most distracting thing in a movie that that included uh, a Roman a Roman god getting uh, hit by an arrow, uh, the Egyptian god of death uh, helping Candace Bergen back into a door, um, and Anthony Quinn dressed up as a jester, um, says a lot for Mykonos Kanos's impact on you. Yeah, I was. I've anything to distract me from what was going on. Yeah. Like, and look, to be fair, they did kind of try to root it back in the sixties. I mean, it was a, there was a severe bit of misogyny uh, kind of tossed in there, you know, Anthony Quinn, um, just, just reminding us that, you know, young female schizophrenics are highly sexed. Apparently. Oh, that's a medical fact. That's that's the, that's the medical term as well. Highly sexed. Highly sexed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm getting the sense. It's, it's, we both think it's a terrible movie, but it's just not quite as terrible as some of the other movies he's done in the previous two or three years, despite what he says himself. No, and I mean, like, and again, from our own perspective, perspective, we acknowledge that Alfie is a good movie. It's just that we fucking hated it. Yeah, we hate Alfie, but we love the. Yeah. We, he's brilliant in it. Kane is brilliant in it, yeah. but we we hate the, the film yeah. Alfie. What, what? What? Where is he? Where is Kane now? He has made. Um, by my reckoning, about three or four turkeys in a row. Maybe I'm being harsh on billion dollar brand there, but he's just made a succession of god awful movies. What? And remind me, what's his what's his um, equation again for a ratio of bad movies to good movies? You're allowed five. Right. Well, he's he's right there now. Yeah, he's knocking on he's knocking on uh, TV's door. He really is like I mean the Oscar nomination the 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 Alfie dividend is surely. How does a guy like? How does he do this? Like, how does he get away? How does he escape from this horror? He's like he's like Homer playing blackjack at this stage, you know. Nineteen, hit me. Twenty, <laughs> hit me. Twenty-one, hit me. Oh, it's terrible. It's just it's just got off. I mean, I was looking at it going, how, how do you? Did he know what was coming next? Because we'll get onto that as well in a second. Actually, before we do, we should probably just kind of rate his performance in this performance in this movie. Where, how do you, what do you say? What can you say about Kane and the Megas? Sleepwalks, comatose. 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 He's basically, this is, yeah, again, I don't want to drag this down into gutter, but again, if I'm watching a movie that's this bad and this disjointed, and I need to find things on the screen that I find slightly, slightly, you know, distracting. Mm. If we're going about levels of realism, clearly this is a movie that obviously has a scene of, um, as you say, Candace Borg dressed as, as Athena shooting a, a man dressed as Pan with a bow and arrow. So you're not here uh, in the realms of, you know, reality. But I found, like, there's a couple of scenes where McCain is, like, having a... There's one where McCain has an, has a, an erotic dream about Candace Borg and he wakes up mm-hmm. in his bed. And there, Mikodas Kanos uh, is there giving the news. Yeah. Michael Caine gets straight up out of bed. But he's not like, just, would you go to the room for five minutes, please? <laughs> Just give me a second now. Right? Just give me a second, right? <laughs> so that's one thing. Like again, apologies for breaking down the tone. The second oh, one is. I, 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 second I, I, one I, I think I think we went there with your Anthony Quinn impersonation. To be honest, that's, poss- that's possibly true. The second thing then is uh, he's he's frolicking in the water with uh, Candace Bergen, and it's getting hot and heavy. And she goes, "No, no, not this time for whatever fucking reason." She gets out of the water. He gets out straight away. Where these yeah. tight terry cloth. I mean, it, that is no fuck away. Okay, Candace, I'm just gonna. Are you not coming out of the water? No, I'm just going to do another couple of laps of the cove there. Uh, I'll see you up in the villa. I'm just going to go over. There's a cold spot over here. I'm just, I'm just going to go over here and just do a couple of laps around the cold spot here in the shade. I'll see you. I tell you what, 
I'll see you above. I'll see you above in the villa there in about, uh, give me about 15 minutes to do it, I'd say. No. No method acting here, like. No, none. Anyway, sorry. Get the train back in the tracks. I, no, this is this is a one or this is a one or two K, uh, marks out of the for me. Do you it's... think so? Do you th- no, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna give you a chance here, right? And I I, I respect your choice, right? But I you, you fucking I, clearly don't. Well, you're I giving, don't, if you're giving me a no, chance, I, I think it's we're already at the time where we have to sort of start to weigh our marks. Well, I do. I, I'm weighing like I was looking at the, at the previous ten movies that we've gone through, or this is a nine or ten, whatever it is, right? I mean, we've given we gave him two or three marks out of marks of Kane for the wrong box, for example. We gave him four for Hurry Sundown. He got five for Deadfall last time around. Woman Time Seven, remember the one where he was like it was just a silent movie for fifteen minutes. We give yeah. now that was two Canes, right? Yeah. So now, so what I'm saying to you is, you need when you're thinking about him in the Megas, and we are, you know, we're we are we are of one that the Megas is a complete and utter wheelbarrow load of manure. Okay, but. Again, Kane in when Kane sitting in this wheelbarrow of manure. What are you? What are you giving him? Uh, I've changed my mind. Eight. <laughs> it's his new Zulu. <laughs> it's Bromhead in Greece. Uh, you've changed my mind. I'm, very, I'm highly suggestible. Well, I tell you what. I I I, 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 I put it into context. All right, I'll, I'll give him a three. Okay. You're giving him three. three, I, three. I, I would actually give him because I think he, I think he is. He's not doing a deep south. I'll give you because clear, clearly your your opinion is more important than this. Go on. No, no. I, I'm just trying no, to go on, justify, why, justify your higher mark. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, I think I have to. I think I give me a chance. I fucking will. Um, go on. Hori, shut up. Hori Sundown, where he he put on that awful southern deep deep south accent. I we give him four for that, right? He doesn't have a deep south accent in this. Is, was he better in Deadfall, the last one, where he plays this cat burger again? I'm somewhere between four and five for me, and leaning towards five. But if you're saying, th- I tell you what, I come a step to you, right? Spit in the hand, right? I if you say three, I'll say four. I give you, I, I okay. give you, I give you four, three or four canes for himself for this, right? Okay. It's a shocker. It's a shocker. He's he's at this point now, his career. If it's not gone down the toilet, it's circling the it's circling the ball. Um, yep. All good now. All good will seem. The only thing that I can imagine that's keeping him up at this stage in people's estimation is that he's a desperately nice chap, and he's got a great personality, and he's a very likable individual. But he has now done a succession of films that reach way way beyond what they can be, um, or else are just you. you, you you basically just described a Labrador. So essentially what you're saying is lovely personality has started to piss in the carpet though. Oh, he's gone. We're beginning to worry. Is this something that we can cure with an antibiotic or are we better off just, you know, bringing him to the vet? Is it time to go to the vet? For a more permanent solution. It's gone beyond replacing the rogue at this stage. So we, and this is also the end of, 1968 is now gone. Deadfall and the Megas were his two films in 1968. Two shockers. But what happens next? Will we tell the people what happens next, Stephen? Yes, we should, Michael. He does a movie called Play Dirty. <gasps> wow, Play Dirty. Yeah. It is not a sex comedy. It does not have any 66 kittens in it. Uh, no boobage. Not, not a sign of sexy time as far as I can figure it out. It's a war movie. 
uh, about which I know absolutely nothing apart from a story that you once told me. I think this is Play Dirt. You told me a story about a cane film one time that he was filming in the desert. Is this is this Play Dirty? Is this yes, play yes. Dirty? that's Play Dirty. Yeah. Tell, tell, just tell the player. I'm not telling people. I don't want to. You see, I'm not going to tell my player dirty story. The only reason I'm not going to tell it is that we haven't seen it uh, in the off chance, uh, and we, you know, we want to be positive here. The off chance that this is not a very good movie. We'd like to have mm-hmm. something, you know, positive to talk about. And I think that I would like to save an, a little anecdote for the listeners for for uh, the next episode. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I have not seen this film. It's a war movie. That's all I know. Um, you like war movies? I do. I do. And he's actually going. I said, why the- did I say? Why did I say war movies? So and that's this what is another way to pronounce. And this is one of this is this is a theory of mine that we can come back to, right? That that post Megas, post Deadfall, post all of these other things, he does a run now of kind of capery war movies that I think it has to be a direct reaction to being given all these these uh, for want of a better expression these airy fairy scripts that really don't go anywhere. Um, but let's see, let's see what happens with Play Dirty. I have not seen it. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. Okay, well, let's all go away. You and me and everybody listening. Let's go away. Find Play Dirty Online. Let's come back. We're moving into 1969. Be very careful how you Google Play Dirty as well. You don't want that in your search history, okay? Be very, very careful. We accept no responsibility for any authorities calling to your door and taking away your PC or laptop. That's nothing to do with us. Blame, I don't know, Kane. Right, let's call a halt. The Megas, let us move away from that... I don't know what to call it. I don't know what to call it. Just that that lake of awfulness. Um, thank you, Stephen, for going through that. I couldn't have done it without you. I really couldn't. Thank you, Michael. I, I appreciate you. You appreciate me. What's I appreciate the, you. What the hell? Is I that? see you. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying <laughs> that's to. That's the megas. That's the megas has got in your head. <laughs> that, that's megas talk. That is. That's megas talk. That's what we get without doing. You see, we we constantly exist in the meta theater here, you know, like where, where, where there's never a fucking script. Well, listen, there's certainly no audience. So look, we are we. Are, hey. this, this is podcast meta theater. This is podcast. We'll, we'll come back the next time. We'll watch Play Dirty. Turn over a new leaf. It'll all be fine. Hopefully, the leaf is clean. Okay, so that's it for this week's episode. Uh, we'll see you next time for Play Dirty. If you have any questions for us regarding Play Dirty, if you're as confused and as angry as we are about the Magus and you haven't asked any questions that we've read out in this week's podcast, please Magus. feel free to DM us on, tw- Magus, DM us on Twitter uh, at Malanews or at Mark McCain too. So then, see you. Bye. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Um, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Marco Kane is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production. See you next time. <laughs>